everybody. Welcome back to She Se Puede podcast. I'm your host, Brittany, and today we have very special guest, Michelle Rodriguez. Woohoo! <laughs> um, and today we are just going to be talking about what we usually talk about, um, kind of her professional background um, and how, you know, being identifying as a Latina kind of intertwines with that. Um, so first we'll start off with Michelle just telling us a little bit about herself, um, and what she considers her professional identity to be. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Really honored to be here. I, when I thought of this answer, uh, I always think of culture. I consider myself a culture shaper. So whatever company I'm in, whatever role I'm in, I look at how do I leave this place better than I found it? You know, Mm -hmm. I'm really attracted to roles impacting people, impacting inclusive cultures and workplaces. So that's sort of been my red thread Mm -hmm. throughout. Um, I've been in the tech space now for about 10 plus years, but I started out as an undergrad really passionate about sociology and ethnic studies and talking about difference. So I'm in a really cool place now where I feel like it's full circle, where a lot of the things that I was so academically passionate about are coming full circle real life Mm -hmm. into the everyday work that I'm doing in terms of culture shaping at LinkedIn. And so currently, what is your title at LinkedIn? So I am the invest strategy lead on the diversity, inclusion, and belonging team. So everything that we do within, we call it dibs for short. Mm -hmm. So everything we do within our dibs team is related to three strategic pillars. And Mm -hmm. I lead one of those pillars. And so the pillar I lead is called invest. And it's all about creating the most inclusive environment we can. So diverse talent can thrive at LinkedIn. That's amazing. (laughs) It's it's a cool dream job. Yeah. I'm, I'm very lucky to be in it. I love it every day. So I'm lucky that I'm in a great team and able to do the work I do. Well, we always need, I think, diver- more diversity, especially in the tech industry, is very important. So that is great that you're doing that. How has your identity as a Latina affected your professional life? Um, mm-hmm. And has it ever affected like your advancement mm-hmm. professionally? Yeah, I mean, and this is a multi-layered question, right? Yeah, Because this is like a whole dissertation. Um, (laughs) But I feel like I'll start with the pros and the things that I feel like with my Latin identity, how I grew up, it really brings me up as a better professional, Mm -hmm. uh, the best um, type of team player I can be. I feel like, so I'm the daughter of immigrants. So Mm -hmm. my, my dad is from Mexico, my mom is from El Salvador. And I feel like being that first generation gives you a certain grit and hustle. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel yeah. like that's sort of the common red thread. And so even though I have been in roles or in growth opportunities where I'm like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing mm-hmm. or like, I don't know how to do this. Yeah. You kind of get into a little bit of an angst or like fear mode. You quickly snap out of it because you're like, you know what? I have to hustle my way out. I will figure it out. I will grind. I will ask. I will find a way. I, I feel that <laughs> on another level. <laughs> yeah. And so I definitely early in my career, it's almost like, you know, put up the front, put on the smile that like I will get it done and mm-hmm. I will get it done. And I don't know how, but I'm going to get it done. <laughs> and so I feel like that no excuses hustle mentality has been passed down to me. Um, and I think you also have a different sense of responsibility. Mm-hmm. When you are that first generation, because you understand 
you are, you know, especially when you're talking about professional environments, you know, professional companies like LinkedIn, like all these tech places I've been at, you know, you are representing so many people before mm-hmm. you, you know, that, you know, my mom didn't work there, my dad didn't work there. And so I have a sense of responsibility to do my best. Mm-hmm. And so that is also the other thing that I feel like fuels me of mm-hmm. like, it's not just about me, you know, like yeah. I'm doing this for them. I'm doing this for you know, mm-hmm. my daughter, all these, all these family members. So that is something that I carry with me too. Yeah, definitely. And then of course, in terms of the field of diversity and inclusion, thinking about, you know, who isn't at the table, thinking mm-hmm. of the underrepresented voices that we're trying to lift up in this work. I think that my perspective of being the other, you know, my perspective of not being the norm of what that maybe company or culture has been built for Mm -hmm. gives me a really unique perspective because, you know, I look at things from a different angle. I may hear an underrepresented voice differently Mm -hmm. and empathize in a different way. Um, Also being from an underrepresented group. And so that is also, I think, a strength um, that I bring to the table as well. Do you feel, well, so I feel like those were all very positive, like, aspects of identifying as a Latina but has anything ever been kind of a negative in terms of like your advancement oh my gosh yeah (laughs) another dissertation um you know I think that there's so much to be said about the unwritten rules that people may not know about entering a workplace or Mm -hmm. the the microaggressions that can happen in a workplace as well Mm -hmm. Something that um, it's, it's, you know, painful to think about, but I've also used it to impel myself to action and give myself this greater sense of purpose. I think back to the first tech company I worked at, which was a a big culture shock for me Mm -hmm. because I used to work in the nonprofit space. Mm. Um, That's a big change. Worked in the Latino community, worked with a lot of Latinas and then going to tech in the world of tech was just a huge shock, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and I remember multiple times um, I was confused for cafeteria staff. Mm. And, you know, I come from a family of service workers. Mm-hmm. No shame in that, right? But I think there's something to be said when, you know, the cafeteria staff at that tech company wore, you know, head-to-toe black uniforms, silver name tags, black hats. Like, it was obvious they were, like, you know, food service workers. Yeah. And I remember I was uh, fresh out of grad school. I was trying to act and look older. So I would like, you know, dress the very corporate part. Yeah. What in my mind I thought was corporate. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had the blazers, I had the pantyhose, I had the stilettos, whatever. And so even in that Mm -hmm. outfit, you know, people demanding coffee or like coming up to me thinking like, why aren't you ringing me out? And it was those moments where I was like, they're seeing my face. You know, it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. what I'm wearing the people and the majority of the people that look like me and represent my culture are cleaning the bathrooms are, you know, serving the food. Mm-hmm. And so these, you know, flip sec or second uh, microaggressions that can happen, happen because of, you know, the unconscious biases we have, we're moving fast, you know, they just see my face and they think she's going to help me with my food right now. Yeah. Um, and I will say the powerful part of things that like that, that happened was that, 
I eventually ended up building community. I built an employee resource group at that company for Latinos to kind of create this space, right? Mm -hmm. And I remember telling this story kind of in a hesitant way and sharing it. And every single other Latina at that table that we were at in our first gatherings was like, that's happened to me. And these were engineers. These were UX designers. These were like people from all different functions all across different buildings at that campus. Mm -hmm. So that's where, you know, again, the beauty of sociology, like teaching us, yes, these, these individual things that happen to us are very powerful, but they're systemic. You know, these are Mm -hmm. things that aren't just happening to one person. It's happening to a whole group. Exactly. And so, and that's when I started really connecting the power of community and stories and understanding what's happening. Um, and I think in other, especially early in my career, in thinking of other ways um, it's limited my advancement or thought about as a challenge is um, definitely moments where I felt like I looked too young or, mm-hmm. you know, the expectation was lower mm-hmm. of, you know, the work I could do of, you know, if I could be on stage with a certain executive talking about a certain thing because I wasn't at that executive level. Mm-hmm. Again, the beauty and the the good positive that came out of those moments were allies. You know, Mm -hmm. I think of the people who had positional power who advocated for me to present on stage with them. Mm -hmm. Or thinking of, you know, one of my first bosses in tech who's still an amazing mentor for me, who taught me how to negotiate, taught me, you know, don't devalue your self-worth and like, Mm -hmm. you know, your pay and all these things. And so, you know... I'm lucky that as I think about all of these challenges that I face that I know are systemic barriers for many people in my group and different social identities that I hold, there's also been these pivot points, these allies along the way Mm -hmm. that have helped me build community and helped me realize, you know, I am worthy to be here too. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I feel like building a community is so important and just talking and like sharing your stories regardless if it's uncomfortable or not is just so important because then you realize how many people are in the same boat or feel the same you know so definitely to speak up um I kind of have a question for that though (laughs) what was your reaction when people mistook you for a service worker so it's always one of those things, you know, when something happens to you and you have the perfect answer like five hours later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it's, at first I was confused. Like the first time it happened, I was like, why is this guy following me? Like he was, <laughs> I was like looking for a bagel or something and he was like literally following me around the cafe and getting more and more angry <gasps> until I realized like, oh, he thinks I'm supposed to ring him out. Like he was mad that he's like, why is this like, you know, worker yeah. not doing her job right now? Um, and it took me a while to sink in because mm-hmm. I was like not fully realizing what yeah. was happening. And then I was like, oh, that's why. Um, and then another time it happened, it was funny because at the time I was on this event marketing team and I was in the middle of this really big appearance. This author was coming and there were a lot of people coming for this event. They had run out of coffee and this guy comes up to me. And he's pissed off and he's like, there's no more coffee. Like you need to refill the coffee. And I was like, oh, I'm s- that really sucks for you. Good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> not my problem. And I just and hit the look of shock on his face, of like shock and anger. And then sort of this like double take of realization of like, oh, yeah, she doesn't work at the cafeteria. Um, you know, but I've seen that everywhere with so many people. And it's unfortunate. You know, I remember... Yeah. 
um, my parents coming to L.A. when I was graduating from grad school, I went to USC. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was really proud because I'd got them this hotel. And I was like, you know, I'm going to make them proud. It's going to be a great trip. And I remember we were waiting outside for the car because the valet was bringing up the car. And a man went up to my dad and handed him keys, expecting my dad to be the valet driver. You know, so it's like these things happen all the time everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we always talk about intent versus impact and how important it is to stay with the impact because it's so easy to say I didn't mean to or it was a mistake. And it's like, yes, it's a mistake, but these things add up over time. Mm -hmm. You know, these microaggressions add up over time. Mm -hmm. And so... I think now I'm in a different place in terms of, you know, the company I'm at, the culture, um, my my life experience. Yeah. So I think I'm, I'm a little bit more feisty and ready <laughs> if things were to happen like that now um, in today's world and how I am right now. Um, but sometimes it's just jarring. Sometimes yeah. you're like stuck and you're like, did that really happen? And, and unfortunately, you know, you don't have the perfect answer all the time. Yeah. When it's in the moment, it's right. just like, you're not, you don't have it planned out. You're just like, what is yeah. happening right now? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and like, the first time when you reacted to that guy, like sometimes kill him with kindness. Just, I'm sorry about that. Like, good luck. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Not my problem. <laughs> and so, well, it's clear that you have a lot of leadership skills and I would consider you as a leader. I think you would too, right? Thank you. <laughs> and so like, how do you cultivate your style of leadership? Um, and like, how has being a Latina contributed to like your leadership style yeah I reflected on that too I feel like when I describe my leadership style it's very collaborative Mm -hmm. I love collaborative styles of leadership in the sense that I love working together um you know my ideal situation is everyone working around a round table it's people from different teams people of different levels, but we're all going together towards a common purpose. Mm -hmm. And I love being sort of that spoke to the wheel of all that, right? You know, I love bringing people together around a common purpose, a common goal. And I've led a lot of, you know, really successful projects that way. Um, And I feel like that's communal, Mm -hmm. you know, and I I think that that is very um, Latino in the sense of how we build community, how we organize. And so I think that in the spirit of being a communal culture, um, that is natural to me. Mm -hmm. Obviously I've had to strengthen my muscle in terms of, uh, making a decision faster. I would say that is something I've had to flex over the years Mm -hmm. where sometimes people are like, I know you want everybody's opinion, but at (laughs) some point, girl, you got to make up your mind, right? Or like you got to make the decision. And so that's the muscle I've had to understand when to push Mm -hmm. the gas on a decision and when is like, it's still okay to, you know, get all the stakeholder buying in, get everyone on the same page. Cause that takes time too. But I think in the long run, relationships really matter to me. And so I want to ensure that when people are working on a major project with me, they feel heard, they feel seen, they understand the value that they're bringing to the decision. Mm -hmm. Um, So that, you know, after we have a great project, we want to continue working with one another. You know, we have that mutual respect. And so for me, it's about, you know, the current thing at play, but it's also about like, you know, how do we continue working together even greater in the future? Cause we built that trust. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's something that's worked for me and, and my leadership style. And, um, 
kind of touching on what you focus on in work is the word diversity. Like it's such a broad concept. Mm -hmm. And especially nowadays, a lot of companies are really, you know, bringing, putting together teams and making sure like their company is inclusive and diverse. Yep. But like, what is your approach to the concept of diversity? Like how would you, what would be like your ideal kind of team in terms Mm -hmm. of it being diverse? Mm Yeah, and I feel like it always comes back to what are we talking about and how are we defining these different terms? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, you can have a really diverse team, whatever Mm -hmm. that means to you, right? Sometimes that can mean a lot of introverts and extroverts. Sometimes that can mean racial diversity, depending on your area of the world, Mm -hmm. gender. But you can have the most diverse team in the world. But if you don't have a leader that can lead inclusively, or if you don't have a culture that allows people to feel like I can speak up at the end of the day, it's just face value. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, you're counting heads and you're saying these are different than this group and this is different than this group, but yeah. nobody's contributing their ideas or there's a lot of, you know, withdrawn mm-hmm. people or people are just not feeling safe to really speak up and mm-hmm. voice their opinion. And so you can't have one without the other and expect great results. I mm-hmm. think a lot of people, um, they're focused really a lot on, you know, hiring and building diversity, which is super mm-hmm. important. But then they're like, oh, yeah, we have to think about culture. Oh, that's why everyone's leaving as soon as they get here. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. it's like you have it, it's it's a very holistic view uh-huh. of a company yeah. um, or an organization of whoever's thinking about this. And I mean, we love using the word belonging at LinkedIn. You know, we're still on our own journey. You know, we still have a lot of work to do. But I love the fact that we talk about belonging because that's the outcome we ultimately want. Mm-hmm. You know, you want your employees, you want your people to feel that stickiness factor of like, yeah, this is a place for me. And this is a place where I can bring my full value, bring my full gifts and voice. Um, So you can't do that without the inclusive culture. You can't do that without having different representation of um, your people at that organization. So Mm -hmm. it's all kind of intertwined. And sometimes people want to piece it apart and think, oh, there's just one silver bullet in hiring, or there's just one silver bullet in this program. And, you know, you have to do the macro level work. The other thing, I could talk about this all day, so you just cut me off. Oh, no, no, please keep going. (laughs) (laughs) The other thing is, you know, there's no cookie cutter to this either. Mm -hmm. You know, people um, sometimes mistakenly think that there is, you know, of course there's best practices, just like any other field, but there's no cookie cutter template to Mm -hmm. a diversity and inclusion strategy. Mm -hmm. There's no cookie cutter template to training or hiring. You have to look at what is the culture of our company? What is important here? What are the business practices that are really going to impact the entire strategy? Um, So sometimes, you know, people are looking for the cookie cutter unconscious bias training. Are they looking for the cookie cutter strategy? And it's like, you have to do the work Mm -hmm. beforehand. You have Mm -hmm. to understand who's not being heard, who's not at the table, What's the sentiment right now of our current employees? You know, what are our goals? What does leadership want? You know, you have to do some of that pre-work to understand where are we, Mm -hmm. you know, and what are the gaps and things we need to work on and then build from there. Yeah. There's no like overlay perfect template that's going to work for every single culture and company. Yeah. And I feel like I've had, I've never worked in the tech field, but I, I've had friends who told me that, you know, 
yeah, they'll, oh, we just hired three Latinas or something, but it's like, okay, they haven't right. contributed. They're just sitting, yeah, they're in the office, but they're just sitting at their desk. They're <laughs> right. still not like a major part of the company. Right. And like, yeah, actually one of my, my cousins actually left a tech company because of that reason. She just felt like she was still so kind of like excluded in a way, mm-hmm. although she was a part of the company, right. you know? right. And there's so many experiences that can happen within a company. Um, I think the concept of one and only is really interesting. You know, people are smart and people understand if they are being tokenized. For Mm -hmm. example, like, oh, yeah, you know, microaggressions can happen every day. Somebody could come up and be like, oh, yeah, you know, diversity is really important. We're so happy you're here. (laughs) Or like, you know, you're the diversity hire. Nobody wants to hear that. You know, you want to be hired because you you were the best candidate, right? And so you don't ever want to make anyone feel like, you know, you're here to serve the number purpose. You know, Mm -hmm. if you're going to bring somebody in, it's to make sure that you are allowing them to really grow there, to see their career path flourish there. Um, Mm -hmm. Of course, you know, it's Silicon Valley valley people are going to come and go like the war on talent is real Mm -hmm. Um, people get recruited every single day but for that very same reason you should be thinking about how are you creating the sense of belonging so that you keep the talent you have and they feel fulfilled Mm -hmm. and they feel heard because it's really expensive to lose people um you know and that whole you know, really sliding, not sliding door, rotating door effect mm-hmm. of people coming into an organization saying, eh, not really for me. I don't see my future here. Mm-hmm. That's real. And, you know, it can be isolating if you're looking around and you're like, I don't see anyone on this floor, this building, my whole organization that looks like me, or I don't see anyone in leadership that looks like me. Mm-hmm. I don't see anyone that matches my style of leadership. You know, those are things that matter because people are already thinking about what's my next step, what's my next play in my career. Yeah. Um, so that that's really real, the one and only. Yeah. So people, <laughs> pay attention to your coworkers, your employees, be aware of your surroundings. <laughs> And everyone who you're working with. I will say, too, you know, do your research. Um, It's very common for me to get calls from people from underrepresented groups that are like, hey, I know you used to work here. What's it really like? Mm. Or, you know, and, and those phone calls happen. Um, I don't think people expect all rainbows and unicorns out of a culture, Yeah. but there are better cultures than others for underrepresented groups, I would say in tech for sure. Um, and this is where the value of employee resource groups and companies really putting this at the forefront that this is a priority for us and this is what mm-hmm. we're working on. This is transparent. Those are things that candidates look at and mm-hmm. search for, whether it's through, you know, those type of phone calls, the website, because they want a signal to understand, you know, will I belong there? You mm-hmm. know, is there space for me here? Yeah. Uh, knowing, you know, the numbers there are in tech of underrepresented groups, too. Yeah, that's awesome. And I'm so glad that there's so many now kind of teams and like parts of companies that just focus on that because yeah. I think it's so important. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm sure you do too, because that's what you do. <laughs> yeah. So kind of going on to like your journey. So you have two degrees, correct? Correct. And then now you're professional in the tech industry and kind of what were the main things that helped support you in achieving your like both academic and professional success being a Latina? Yeah. 
I mean, definitely going back to that first generation grind, definitely, you know, being mm-hmm. that daughter of immigrants, it was instilled in me from day one that education was really important. Um, my parents really instilled that in me. They both were able to complete high school, do a little bit of post-grad work um, before coming to the U.S. Um, they're both, you know, avid book readers. I remember my mom taking me to the public library every week when I was growing up, des- definitely during the summertime. So just the the nerd factor was there yeah. <laughs> from the very start and just sort of priming that academic brain. But I also recognize I had a huge privilege in the sense that I was able to go to a private school, mm-hmm. um, you know, all the way through college. And oh, wow. my parents, uh, they sought that out for me. I was a scholarship kid at these very prestigious um, schools. I went to a very prestigious prep school. And that was, you know, its own identity trip in itself in being like the only Latina in a classroom and mm-hmm. all those experiences and traumas that can happen there. Yeah. Um, but I also recognize that that's a huge privilege I had mm-hmm. in the sense of that set me up in the sense of the level of education and rigor I had in the classroom. So like when I got to Santa Clara, I tell people my first two years at Santa Clara were like easier than my high school years Wow! in terms of like the type of courses I had in my high school curriculum. Um, And I uh, had parents that also didn't go to college. So they knew I had reached this pinnacle and they were so proud of me, but they didn't know how to talk to me about like, majors or financial aid or whatever they did the best they could and that actually offered me some freedom in the sense to really pursue what I was really interested in academically Mm -hmm. which I've reflected on a lot I've had a lot of conversations now in my life where you know I have peers of the same age and they're like I just realized I hate my career I realized I really need to pivot I realized I've been doing you know this type of field or this type of work because this was the major my parents said I had to do and I needed to make money or I need, and and those conversations are really real where people are having like these moments in their life where they're like, wait, is this the field I want to be in for the next, you know, 10 to 40 years or whatever it is. Um, And I'm sort of at a conundrum where like, I don't know what to tell you because I've always just been like really interested in talking about race and difference and equity and justice yeah. and I, I leaned in towards sociology at the time Santa Clara didn't have a major in ethnic studies there was a group of us that created a second major through the individual studies oh, wow. program yeah so I created my own like second major curriculum I had these amazing professors these amazing classes um, and then I ended up graduating from there and thinking the only way to do equity and justice work was in the nonprofit field. Mm-hmm. And so I did that, um, worked in the nonprofit field and decided I'm going to get my master's to be a nonprofit director. And so then that led me to my master in public administration at USC. Mm-hmm. Amazing program. I made amazing connections with colleagues. I loved my cohort um, in awesome. that program. Um, and then the recession happened. And so then mm. that's when I tell people I accidentally fell into tech. Um, again, th- these are these moments where sometimes people have these informational interviews for me. And I'm like, I'm so not helpful because, <laughs> you know, people think I, you know, had this very strong strategy to get into tech. 
And I'm like, look, I had bills to pay and I gave myself six months to try something different outside of the nonprofit field. And I applied in the private sector and literally gave myself a six month timeline. And mm-hmm. I was like, give myself six months and I'm out. I'm going to go back to the nonprofit world where I belong after six months. And, you know, here I am still in tech. Uh, so yeah. I never left um, because I eventually realized I can still do equity and justice work in tech it just will look different Mm -hmm. um so again a lot of privilege in the sense of the education I had but also I'm happy that I was able to allow myself um that space and that freedom to go towards academically what I was really um passionate about and interested in learning Mm -hmm. yeah and and I think that's so important especially for you know, kids graduating high school, they're 18 and they have to decide what they want to do for the rest of their life. Like that, I mean, for me, that was like impossible. I was like, I, you know, it takes a long time for you to figure out what you want to do. And yeah, I think it's definitely important to just do what you're passionate about, regardless if it's like, oh, but that major, it's what, you're not going to make any money. Like, it's kind of like, but if also if I'm miserable, that's not going to be good either. So yeah, yeah, I think it's definitely important to just go what you're passionate about. And then wherever that may lead you, that's some, you know, you, you didn't think you were going to be in tech, but it doesn't matter. Cause like you said, you're still doing something that. Yeah. Love. I think at the end of the day, um, there's a lot of focus on the job and I think what's helped me or the job of the title. Mm. And I think what's helped me is realize what am I really good at and what's my ultimate purpose? Yeah. Because that opens up so much more in possibilities of industry of like where you can lean in and put your gifts in. I think it's too narrow and too limiting when we say I have to work in this type of job and this type of industry and this type of company. Mm -hmm. And especially now I'm happy that the world of work, I guess, is more fluid. You know, there's more remote workers, there's more Mm -hmm. um, people that work for themselves. And so I think it's even becoming more fluid and open in terms of possibility. But of course, you know, you can study what you're passionate about as long as you can also be self-sufficient and like, you know, get money to like live off of, right? Especially Um, in the Bay Area. (laughs) Especially here. Um, But I think there's something to be said about understanding your purpose early on too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, well, kind of going into understanding your purpose, um, would you ever like consider yourself as a role model for Latina women? I would hope so. Mm -hmm. I would hope so. You know, I, I saw this meme the other day of like, be the person your younger self needed. Mm. And I'm like, that's a good one. I like that one. Right. Um, I think that there's so there's a growing body of role models that are Latinas that are professional that are you know in the tech industry that have accomplished um, you know professional aspirations and I think you know I hope that I'm an example for folks that you know you don't have to have the quote-unquote perfect major to work in tech you mm-hmm. know there's people that aren't engineers there's people that you know aren't business degrees that are also there and doing hard work great Mm -hmm. work um I hope I can be a role model in the sense of you can be a working mother that loves her job Mm -hmm. you know um you can be a first generation woman who really loves your culture but also unlearns some things that don't serve you anymore Mm -hmm. um you know in many ways I think there's so many layered identities that I hold that I hope that you know, in some way, I'm sort of providing some example to somebody out there. It can be done. Yeah. And well, 
I know the answer to this, but the audience doesn't. Do you mentor young uh, Latina women? Um, and if you do, how so? Yeah. So I do, and I actually make it a point to mentor women of color, women um, that are first gen. Um, and most of the time, I actually get reached out to. Um, I know we know a mutual mentee of mine mm-hmm. uh, through the program that you're in as well. Shout out, Anna. Shout out, Anna. <laughs> we love you, Anna. Um, also, just through work, sometimes people reach out to me and they're like, can I have a career conversation with you? Can you be my mentor? I want to you know, work in diversity and inclusion one day. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, other people that are coming up on their master's in public administration degrees that are understanding how to get into different professional paths. So I kind of have all these different intersections in my life. And these are casual, you know, mentee-mentor relationships where, you know, we don't have a set schedule, but Mm -hmm. we're, you know, in constant communication. It's like, you know, when's our next lunch date? When's our next coffee day? Or, you know, oh, we haven't talked in a while. Let's put something on the calendar. And I think that's the best type of mentor-mentee relationships because they're just different type of friendships. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, like I... um, And I know the power of mentoring because one of my best professional mentors was... I mentioned her before, Christine. She was one of my first bosses in tech and mm-hmm. taught me so much about, you know, the unwritten rules and the things to do and things not to do in terms of um, the tech world and really empowered me to know my self-worth, to know how to negotiate. Um, she was a real, like, hardball boss on me, but in a really great way. And we're still in touch, you know, oh, even great. though I haven't worked for her for many years. She's always like, tell me when you want to work for me again. You got a job, right? <laughs> um, but we're always we're always in touch. And I'm always calling her for advice. Um, so there may be times I don't talk to her for a couple months, but we just pick right up where we left off. Um, so yeah, I consider all, all these women that I mentor, I also feel like I learn and gain from them too, Mm -hmm. because you know, they're all in different life stages and I remember like, I got to keep my game up too, because they're coming up strong, you know, they inspire me. Um, and I also remember in talking to them about why I do the work that I do too. Yeah having a mentor or just someone to help you in general, like guide you is always important. And then Mm -hmm. same when you have reached that level, if you can give that back, I think it's just, especially for, you know, unrepresented groups, I think to um, like, there's that saying, I think I've said it before in another episode, but like um, in order, if you, if you can see something, then you like that gives you more confidence to be it. So like yeah. if you see someone that looks like you or right. that, you know, grew up the same way you did, it's kind of like, wow, mm-hmm. they got there. I'm going to get there. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are um, the organizational obstacles that you have had to overcome? I guess it could either be professionally or academic or personally, just kind of like what have you experienced? So one organizational obstacle I've been through before is understanding the tension I had between the work I was doing that I really believed in and whether it was really contributing to the overall goal I wanted to see for the company. And it was a company that I really loved working for. And I was working on these amazing events with employee resource groups. And we would do these amazing um, installations at like, for example, Pride Parade and Lunar New Year and all these cultural campaigns and cultural events. But then I would look around and be like, 
wait, so who else is working on diversity and inclusion stuff? (laughs) (laughs) And I realized, you know, the small diversity and inclusion team that was there was dissolved. Mm. Um, There was no overarching strategy for the company. When this would come up at company all hands, there wasn't really a clear cut answer or even importance coming from the top leadership on this topic. So I started realizing that my big splashy marketing events that of course I love doing, I was super proud of, we would run super authentically with the communities they represented mm-hmm. were like the thing people would point to in terms of the company's efforts around diversity and inclusion. Mm-hmm. And I started having this real like inner turmoil. Cause I would think, you know, this shouldn't be the cake. Like the, this should be the icing on the cake. Mm-hmm. You know, this shouldn't be the whole company's efforts around diversity and inclusion. It led me to really challenge myself to think, you know, what is the type of change bearer I want to be in an organization? You know, I can Mm -hmm. I can spend how many tens of thousands of dollars on a splashy parade and make it like a great, you know, event. But what's the long term impact? You know, Mm -hmm. you can have a great pride parade, but are you creating access for LGBTQ folks in your executive ranks? You know, do they feel like they can uncover and be out at work? Like these are the type of questions that I started asking myself of, you know, am I doing the right work here for Mm -hmm. the purpose I'm trying to do? Yeah. And it was hard because I love that company. I ended up leaving that company. So I sort of like felt like I manifested my next role because I really realized the next role I have to do has to be around diversity and inclusion, but I want to build strategy. I want to ensure that the work and the time and the hours and the grind I'm putting in is really about organizational change is really about like, how are we changing the way that we're doing business and not just, you know, the splashy parties, which are great food Mm -hmm. flags, fun. We need it. You know, cultural representation is important, but I also feel like the Mm -hmm. systemic change is the foundation to everything. Yeah. So I ultimately started telling everybody and their moms, I sort of (laughs) manifested this thing. And I said, you know, really passionate in pursuing this work. My next role, I'm going to be doing a strategic role. I'm going to be doing a strategic role. And then lo and behold, one day on LinkedIn, I was a power user even before I worked there. I'm a huge LinkedIn fan Mm -hmm. since 2006. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But LinkedIn said, here's a job for you. As I logged in, I'm like, that is my job, you know, that is my dream job. And I remember clicking on it, um, did some stalking on LinkedIn of like, okay, who works at this company? Yeah. I'm just going to put this company name and diversity. And like one person popped up who ended up being the hiring manager. I realized um, she was friends with somebody I knew from grad school. I texted him. He said, let me text her, you know, and then, you know, happily ever after I ended up getting that role, by the way. Awesome. But it was sort of this reflection point that led me to that role in this like real inner angst because I started having to think, am, is the work I'm doing ultimately ser- serving the outcome I want? Mm-hmm. And I didn't feel right after a while um, doing these really splashy, amazing events. Yeah. And it just feeling false at the end. Mm-hmm. So that would be the biggest organizational challenge I yeah. think that comes up for me. Definitely. And I feel like you were able to get over that hump because yeah, yeah of not working there anymore and then doing something that you felt needed to be done mm-hmm. in that sector mm-hmm. of LinkedIn. Um, so kind of going back, well, you touched on your parents a little bit, um, but did your family um, or friends like have any expectations for you professionally? Like, did they expect you to 
you know, you got to go to college or you got to make sure you got a good job or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, day one. You know, that is something that I remember as little as four or five years old. My mom would always tell me the same thing over. She's like, you're going to be a professional, you know, Vas a ser profesional, you know? <laughs> all the time. And it was like, you know, whatever that is, there was no definition of, you know, the type of company or the role or whatever. But it was like, you are going to have an office job one day. You know, you are going to be not working with your hands, you know. And I, I struggle with this in the sense of now me as a mother because, you know, the reality is during my summer breaks, I would always not look forward to the first day of school because, you know, again, I went to this private school, very prestigious. So kids would talk about their summer in Cannes or, you know, wherever in Europe they went to. Mm. And I would always make up a fake art camp that I went to that I never <laughs> did really go to um, because I didn't want to say I helped my mom clean houses, you know, all summer and went to work with her. Right. Um, and now I am so thankful for that experience because that was the grind, you know, that taught me this is the value of making a dollar and mm -hmm. this is where I don't want you to be for your future, right? My mom telling me. Yeah. And so now, you know, my husband and I always talk about how do we instill that same grind when I work at LinkedIn and she sees these arcade games and free food, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so I'm trying to figure that out, which is a real conversation I have with other first generation friends mm -hmm. of like, how do you really instill that sense of realness of like, you don't have to have the life I have. You can have it so much better because mm -hmm. you're going to have this education because you're going to have these opportunities handed um, in a different way to you. And so, yeah, it goes back to the sense of responsibility, but my parents always day one, you're going to go to college. Yeah. You're going to be a professional. Yeah. I feel like that's, it's different for the younger. I mean, I don't have a kid myself, but I feel like for the first generation, like, yeah, cause they're not seeing you you know, cleaning houses or you mm -hmm. do have your degrees, you know, so it's mm -hmm. different. And it's kind of like, how do you explain that? Well, that wasn't just handed to me. Right. Like you're going to have to work for it. Right. Yeah. I feel yeah. like it's kind of a difficult concept, but, mm -hmm. um, and so kind of wrapping it up for our podcast today. Um, do you feel that you are creating change for Latinas in the United States workforce? <laughs> Heavy question. <laughs> yes. I really do hope so. Um, I, I aspire to say yes. And I say that because I truly believe that, you know, part of my purpose is making space where there mm -hmm. hasn't been space before. You know, a lot of the companies I worked at, I say, you know, weren't built with maybe me in mind. Mm -hmm. And so I think about now that I am in there, how do I make sure that the path for other Latinas to come in is easier? Um, it's more accessible. Um, they see themselves here. Mm -hmm. uh, they see their leadership path here. Um, so I hope that the work that I'm doing and creating that more inclusive environment at LinkedIn and, you know, talking about the importance of this even across the industry is really mm -hmm. heard um, as a real call of not just doing the right thing, but of sustainability, you mm -hmm. know, as we become this growing workforce, as the demographics are changing in the United States, it's like, a level of staying relevant, you know, for companies of like, how are we attracting Latinos into the workforce? And so I hope so. I hope that, you know, that is all contributing to the bigger purpose for other Latinas. Definitely. Well, in my opinion, I think you are. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and um, well, that is it for today, guys. Thank you so much, Michelle, for coming today. Thank you for having me. And
and check out the next episode of She Se Puede podcast. 